have what we call our, our message or our, or our sermon, which is talking about what we've read. Right. Sorry, guys, we're, we're shifting the goalpost on you guys. Bible reading first. Um, all right, Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nation, Nation the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was with Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathen, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. These, are the, these were the 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile to Babylon, and 14 from exile to the Messiah. That's it. Well done, Anna. <laughs> right. You take it. Well done. Uh, <laughs> the key word in all of that is the word Messiah. King. Recently, Dana and I have been watching through the, the latest episode of, of The Crown. Any Crown fans here? Any, any uh, not many. Netflix. Uh, I shouldn't encourage Netflix, but, but, uh, but it's, it's, quite, it's quite good. Um, yeah, uh, this just chronicles, you know, the, in drama, fairly historically accurate, the life of uh, the royal family, uh, British royal family, uh, Queen Elizabeth and so forth. In the last season, there's this huge question around the relevance of the monarchy in Britain. It's sort of the key theme. Is it relevant? Does it matter? Does it matter to the life of the people of Britain? You and I this morning have been singing some pretty weighty words, if you, if you noticed. We've sung... Incredibly strong words. Jesus, you are my king. 
Is that relevant? Does that matter? You see, the word Messiah means king, and, and, and the question that's buried for us in this Bible reading and this theme today is precisely the question of perhaps relevance. The relevance of this king to, to us. Is he relevant? And, and I just want to add weight to that by now inviting us to sing this next song. The song is Majesty. And, and if you know Jesus and you've sung the song before, for you it's an opportunity to embrace and enjoy it. If you're unsure about Jesus, I just want you to again consider the sheer glory and weight that this ascribes to this person, Jesus. Maybe you're somewhere in between. I do know Jesus, but do I truly understand the scope and size, the weight of who this person is? How big a deal is he? The, the, the Bible, for its part, says this. I'll read this, and then we're going to sing the song. It talks about Jesus. It says, the sun is the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. May I invite you to stand and we'll sing majesty.
Please be seated. Church, the truth is that if we consider the sheer size and scope and the bigness of Jesus as, as king, it'll do, it'll do only one or two things for us. I, either what we've sung and what we've read and what we've considered this morning is, is going to just let you <laughs> slip in and naturally he becomes larger and we, we praise him or, or perhaps you might... Yeah, you might be reluctant. Might be reluctant to sing those words. Might be reluctant at the thought of saying, I'll, I'll lie face down and prostrate before the glory and majesty of one so great as Jesus. You may well have questions. You may well say, why would I do that? You may well say, I'm not quite sure. I'm not quite sure that he's that big a deal. I'm not quite sure that I should come at him and come at this with such a willingness to, to bow. You may have questions. Can I, for the next 20 minutes, just talk a little bit about some of that questions? Because you wouldn't be the only one to have those questions. In fact, I would suggest that all of what we read in the scriptures in some ways is trying to tell us about the kingship of Jesus, about a lot more. But this whole book of Matthew is written to say to you and me, yes, you should know. At least you can know whatever God has revealed to us about this king to say, yes, yes, come and bow before him. He is that big a deal and he is that worth it. And so this morning from a, an odd place, as odd as a genealogy, I want to lift out some answers as to why he is king, why he is worth it. Three things. Number one, um, this genealogy tells us, firstly... Oh, we'll get to him in a minute. This king does have credentials. Does anybody know who this man is? Trivia question. <laughs> Prince Leonard. Yes, it's Prince Leonard. By the way, you should all know him very well. He is a prince and a royal figure of our country. Well, he used to be when he was alive. Leonard George Casley, better known as Prince Leonard, is founder of the self-proclaimed micronation of Hutt River within the Australian state of Western Australia, uh, some distance off Geraldton. Any Western Australians here this morning? Too ashamed to put their hands up, probably, after, after this sort of... A <laughs> won't own it, will you? Uh, yeah, um, he proclaimed, it, it, it ceased, I think, only about 20 years ago, but, but it was legit. It was this tiny little community there who was sovereign, or some, I think they got, they got uh, 
lugged with some millions of dollars of taxes, unpaid taxes at some stage, that undid them. But, um, you know, you could say one of the biggest problems that Prince Leonard had, <laughs> he had many, but, but one of the great challenges to his sovereignty, I should say, was um, credentials. For one, the, the, the fact is that he, he was born in Kalgoorlie in Western Australia to, to George William Casley, who worked on the railways, and Ennis. Uh, you know, uh, among the many, yeah, as I said, issues, there's no lineage, there's no heritage, there's no royal line. The facts for itself would just make you look at that and go, no, this guy is, I don't want to discredit him, but, but this is not a big deal. Not so the king, the son of God, who is born to us. All these names in the Gospel of Matthew, you know what they tell us? They tell us that he has the history. We can spend a lot of time on the nuances and details of that. But I want to rest in the fact today that if you are going to believe in this person as that big a deal, you kind of want to know that he, he's historically legit. You see, the Christian faith isn't a story. It's not made up. It's steeped in history. History brings Jesus to us. It's not enough to maybe make you a, a, a believer in him, but, it, but, but you also need to know that being a Christian doesn't mean that you chuck out all reason, all facts. The gospel writers certainly do not expect us to do so. They start, Matthew at least, and Luke does so too. He follows a different path of the genealogy. But, it, but they say, no, this king is legit. He has the credentials. And therefore, you've got a historically robust gospel. It's history, not just story, not myth, not fable. Right? It's the first thing that you might want to know about this king, if you're going to take him that seriously. The second thing is, uh, you might want to know that he was always to come. The time span of this genealogy is, is enormous. It's, 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 it's 2,000 years if you go from the beginning where we read about Abraham and right through to where Jesus was born. It's about 2,000 years. The oldest accounts of what we know from what happened in, in, in humanity's history. This is how far back it goes. And it says to us that if you're familiar with the gospel story, you've heard this before, God all along worked human history to this point. Right? Over a long time, 2,000 years, every step of the way, God is in control. You know what the sub-lesson for that is for us? The application. One of the most fundamental questions that you wrestle with in your life, I bet, is the one of purpose. 
is their purpose design and order to my life? Is everything in human existence moving towards a designed point? Or is it all pointless, meaningless? There is no plan. There is no purpose. There is no design. <laughs> That's absolutely not the message of the gospel. It's not the message of the Bible. Uh, something perhaps as drab as a genealogy tells us precisely that. It says your life has purpose. Your life has designed meaning. It's not random. It's not moving to nowhere. It is moving to somewhere. And our life as a humanity and the whole world's history is not random. It has purpose. It, it, it always has had it does have now and it will have. And, and yes, we may not understand much of that history. Much of that purpose is locked up in mystery. Much of it is confusing. Much of it is painful. And yet, and yet, the immense comfort that comes from knowing that history has a purpose. The life of this church has a purpose. The life of your family has a purpose. Your life as an individual has a purpose in the hands of the sovereign God who is working things out exactly as he wishes to. If you know him, let that comfort you. If you don't know him, can I invite you today to consider perhaps that within this God you might find exactly what you need. Within him you might make sense, at least more sense of what you currently can make of your life, of what's happening to you, of where you're headed. And then thirdly, for our last point, we've said already that the king has the credentials, the king was always to come, meaning God is in control. And then lastly, from this genealogy that we've read, we get this point that the king and his kingdom is different. I mean, it's a different kingdom in many ways, but here's some of the astounding differences that we see in this genealogy. Sorry, I should have moved that on. If you're familiar with the biblical story, this will be coming more readily to mind. If you're new to the biblical story, can I draw your attention that some of the names that are included in this genealogy are astonishing figures. There's a man named Judah, a man who treats his daughter-in-law, Tamar, uh, as a prostitute, inflicts horrible cruelty on her. There's a woman called Rahab, a prostitute living in Jericho who gave birth to Boaz, who in turn marries a woman called Ruth, a total outsider to God and to church and to faith. 
Even the great King David, who's a high point in this genealogy, is a person who commits adultery, even murder, in a scandal as a king. These are the types of people included in this long line of credentials of this great king. Now you might say, well, why does that serve as a, as a draw card for me to accept this king? Well, none of them remained as they are or were. God took every single one of them. He drew them. He changed them. He loved them. He redeemed them. He healed them. He restored them. And then he placed them in his incredible story and purpose for the world. Outsiders and failures. It's who they are. All of them. And you know, that desire and that heart of God's is no different for you and for me. It's that no matter how much of a failure you are or your life is, no matter how much of an outsider you may be to all things that you consider perhaps religious and morally perfect and how little you feel that you have a sense of belonging here, this genealogy in its pure boring form shouts out at you, no, no, it's it's for you. (laughs) This, This king and his kingdom is for you. It's here, in this place, in this purpose, and in this history where you are healed, restored, redeemed. If you would come, because this is the sorts of thing that this king is doing. He's the king who doesn't come to wear a golden crown, but one of thorns. Who does not come to sit on a golden throne, but a wooden one where he's crucified. And dies the death you should have for your failures, and I should have for my failures. He's raised to life, to the place of supreme authority, from where he says, come to me. Let me change you. Let me fill you. Let me renew you. Live under my kingship and under my lordship, and there you'll find life and light. Why would you come to this king? Well, we're all in different places, but we may know that he's got the creds. His kingdom is the meaning of it all, adding purpose, hope, comfort. And his kingdom is different. It's better. It is for you, just as you are. He bids you come. Please pray with me. Jesus, I pray for each person in this building. We, yet again this year, has the, have the opportunity to think what it means for us to have you as king over our lives. Would you truly become a bigger deal in each of us? No matter how long we've known you or how little. Would you enlarge yourself as the different king, the good king, the better king, and your kingdom as the better place, the better reality to live in? 
Father, would you bring our lives, our thoughts, our words into line with your kingdom? I do pray, my dear friends who might be here today and going, not sure, not sure, and yet know that there needs to be better hope to turn to in their life. Lord, would you help them? Give them the grace to cry out to you, ask for your help, let you help them. We thank you that this is the king who you seek to be and the kingdom that you sought to bring. In Jesus' name, amen. Music team, we're gonna, <laughs> you're going to come on up, we're going to sing a response song and then, um, then I'll close the service off for us. Thank you.